Hey everyone, it's Arnold with Warm Welcome, a show where we meet Asian American chefs, restaurateurs, and founders, and we share their origin stories. Today, we have a pretty special episode for you, sitting down with Corey Chow, who is the chef de cuisine at Per Se. And Per Se is actually one of only five restaurants in New York City that have three Michelin stars. The others being Chef's Table at Brooklyn Fair, 11 Madison Park, Massa, and Le Bernardin. Per Se is situated in Columbus Circle, and um, they actually oversee Central Park as well. It is from Thomas Keller, and Chef Thomas Keller is a very legendary American chef, and he has a sister restaurant, French Laundry on the West Coast and Per Se on the East Coast. Um, he opened a restaurant down in Miami, Florida as well, recently, maybe like a, few, like a year ago or so. And um, Corey is the chef de cuisine, as I mentioned. And, and uh, the chef de cuisine role is really actually the highest you can get without being the executive chef. And so at Per Se, you could say that the executive chef is Thomas Keller and then chef de cuisine would be Corey Chow. And it's a really big deal, you know? And there's a lot of Asian American sous chefs. So sous chefs are more or less kind of the managers in the kitchen. I guess you could equate it to a restaurant manager, but in, in, in a kitchen capacity. So there's a lot of Asian sous chefs or kitchen managers, but no one, or not many, not no one, but not many that have raised to the level of chef de cuisine, especially at the caliber that per se is. So I'm really excited about this chat. Um, we had a really, really good time just talking about restaurants and per se. And, you know, I've personally worked at Eleven Madison Park as well as an expediter. So there was a lot of uh, fun topics towards the end that, that I think we connected on too. So I really hope you enjoy this conversation and I'll circle back with you at the end. As I was researching you, I was, it was really interesting to find out that you grew up in San Gabriel of all places and, uh, you, you, you know, you grew up here in California where, where I'm now. So I really would love to kind of bring it back a little bit and talk about, the, you know, you mentioned a lot about those weekend dinners growing up in a lot of your interviews. So if you don't mind sharing maybe those experiences early on, uh, you know, your weekends growing up in San Gabriel Valley. So the weekends were like, I mean, my, my family always did this ever since I was a little kid. Sa- uh, Saturday nights would be with my dad's side of the family. My grandparents would cook dinner. And then Sunday nights would be with my mom's side of the family in LA, Chinatown. That's where they lived. Um, and then my, my dad's side, yeah, my dad's side, they lived in Monterey Park. Um, and then luckily all of my family members are all, they all live pretty close within the Los Angeles area. So like all of us would just get together and it, it would be nice. Um, and then you kind of, you know, when you get into high school, you get a little bit older and it's like, I don't want to hang out with my family. I want to go, you know, It'll be cool with the with my friends or something, you know. But you know, I still went, and my parents were like, "You have to go." But right after dinner, you can do whatever as long as you as long as you can as long as you go to dinner, you can, you know, you can go hang out with your friends or something. Which you know, I did, and I was just like, "Oh, I had to go out to dinner, or I had to go to my grandparents' house for dinner." And, you know, it's kind of a hassle when you're in high school, and and kind of in college. Um, and then I never really realized that that's what food is what brought our families together to, to start, I guess, to start the the conversation of like, this just, this is just what brings everyone together and it's food. Right. I don't know in Korean culture, but like I know in Chinese culture, the first thing that um, the old people say to each other is right. Uh, which is like, did you eat rice yet? Oh right? they, yeah. That's my, us too. Us too. Yeah. 
what's the first thing, right? My grandma says to me every single time, instead of like, hi, it's like, did you eat yet? You know, and I never really understood that the connection between food and I guess just the experience that it brings, whether it's the experience of just having family time, the experience of the restaurant where you're celebrating a, a special occasion or something, you know, but it all comes back to like, you know, a restaurant, hospitality, whether the hospitality right, is with your family or a restaurant, but the hospitality part of it is what brings people together in, in all different aspects. And I never really realized that that's what my family did for each other. And, you know, I, I cherished all of that, you know, now that my grandparents are gone and I want to, you know, I want to do that for my own family, um, you know, later down the line and, ha you know, be able to cook for them and have, you know, to actually have your kids be like, oh, I want to hang out with my parents. <laughs> you mentioned your grandparents and I read that also they actually cook, they cook at restaurants, right? Yeah. My, 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 my dad's side of the family, my grandfather worked in restaurants um, in LA Chinatown and my mom's dad, he was like a bartender. So he used to work at like the Biltmore in downtown LA and old school, um, LA Chinatown like restaurants around the area. So they were in the hospitality industry for a long time. And I never really realized it like that that's their job or like that could be a profession. And I wanted to do that, but then, you know, they, they were never really managers or anything. And my grandfather would always tell me like, don't, don't cook. You know, it's like you work too hard, you make little money and it's not really worth it. So I, I always had that in the back of my mind, you know, while I was in high school or college. It's interesting because it seems like it was a big part of your life growing up, obviously, over these conversations and talking about culture and whatnot and kind of making these connections with your with your family. But you went on to study psychology, right? And I read that you were look, you were even trying to get into teaching. That was like kind of like your first first career, right? It was something that will actually help me down the line when I, becoming a chef. But, it, you know, obviously doing that, I didn't really realize that that's the path that I was going to go to. I went to Cal Poly Pomona and I got a bachelor's in psychology. And at the time, while I was while I was in school, I used to be a home therapist for autistic kids. You know, that taught me a lot of patience and how to teach and how to, how to really kind of mentor someone. You know, it was really, really personal, like one-on-one -on -one with, with a child. And it's kind of like that now for me. It's like me, the chef with a young chef to party and trying to teach them um, how to do stuff. And um, when I was, I went to college, you know, obviously, you know, like the pressure of being from an Asian family, it's like you have to go to a four-year college and get a degree. Like there was no question of going to a trade school or like, you know, culinary school. I didn't, I didn't have that option. I kind of wanted to do it, but then I was like, I knew in the back of my head, it's like, okay, my mom and my dad aren't going. I went to Cal Poly for four or five years and then after I graduated, I wanted to teach, um, I think it was, I wanted to teach kindergarten for some reason. I like little kids. <laughs> they're, they're just so, they're just so innocent at that age, I think. And I want, <laughs> yeah, because I think at that age, you can, in, you can really have an impact on them compared to like grade school. When grade school, they're, they already have a mentality set. So I, I wanted to do that and then I couldn't find a job. So I was like, you know what, I'm just going to go culinary school. <laughs> you know, and then my parents were like, no, don't do that. Don't do it. <laughs> so, all right, well, I'm still going to go. And there's, and I went and then I got an externship in Hawaii 
at Alan Wong's. You know, I worked at Alan Wong's for six years, six and a half years, I think, six years. And then I, you know, because after my externship, I just, I said, I want to stay here. You know, like I love this culture. You know, it's, I love the gratification of cooking and I love, I love working with everybody, even those long hours, you know, everyone became my family and that, that the people that I work with in Hawaii, they're, they're still some of my closest friends. And I learned so much that as a foundation of my cooking is from Hawaii. And then, you know, we did a dinner, um, we hosted per se for two days and I was like, wow, this is crazy. Like, this is this is another level. And I was like, I wonder if I can do this. I wasn't sure. I was like, but I was pretty motivated. And I want, I, I just love the idea of being able to travel and, and, and being able to pack up and go experience another life and, you know, another culture like New York city is just crazy. And I never been in New York city before. And I was like, all right, I'm going to go to New York city. <laughs> that was kind of dumb, but um, you know, just being, you know, like when I got here, I was like, I didn't know where, I didn't know the, I didn't, I wasn't familiar with the boroughs and like where my apartment would be. I just found the cheapest one or I didn't know what bed was or like the different areas. I was like, I just got to go to New York city. I, I was just seeing it opened up cooking, opened up so many doors of friendships and life experiences that I don't think I would have ever had from another type of job or profession. Right. There's, there's so many things to unpack here. One of which is, do you think like if you didn't, if you did find a teaching gig, right? If you, if you got a gig in teaching, do you think you still would have gone to culinary school at some point? Or do you think you're, you would, it would have been a completely different path? Probably would have been a completely different path. Yeah. Like all my friends that I grew up with are still in the San Gabriel Valley. I think if I was a teaching gig, you know, it's Monday through Friday, I'd keep the, you know, I keep the same routine. I mean, cause at that point I was already, I was already what, 20, 23 when I graduated. So at that point in time, I was like, all right, I need to really figure out my career. So then after 23, so culinary school was a year and a half. So 24, when I was like 25, that's when I started cooking like professionally, I think, um, like really committed to it. And I think, yeah, I think I, I don't think I would have, it would have been hard. It's it was it would have been harder to go to culinary school when you're older. Because when I went to culinary school, I was in the the nighttime program. That's those were career changers, or people that worked in the daytime. So it was all majority of them were older, and I can see that it was harder, like just physically. Um, and you know they had families, and it was hard for them to commit to things. And if I was older, I think yeah, it would have been harder to to really really get your roots in, in and work and learn and commit to things without anything holding you back. Right. I don't want to just gloss over Alan Wong because I think those six years, I'm sure were very transformative for you, but also him as a chef, right? He's considered one of the, the co-founders almost of this Hawaiian regional cooking and, and cuisine. So he, it, it, it's a really big deal, really important restaurant, I think for the for American cuisine in general. Um, you talk about Aloha, Aloha spirit. What what is exactly this aloha spirit that you that you talk about during your time there? It's always with warm welcome. Like aloha means hello and goodbye. You know what I mean? And and it just I learned about hospitality there because just experiencing Hawaiian culture. It's like a, it's like another country almost. It's not even like a state. Yeah, right. Yeah, 
it's it's just so uh, so different and just the sense of family there whether it's your um what's that called your your family like you know your immediate family or your your restaurant family and it's like the same thing no matter where you go you get the same aloha spirit and they treat your family like aloha spirit like honestly if it wasn't for aloha spirit i don't think i would have met my wife my wife she started at alan Wong's. i mean she started at per se and how we met was someone told her that i used to live in hawaii and she was going there for vacation and she asked me where she should go to eat in Hawaii. And I was like, Oh yeah, I'll give you a list of recommendations and stuff. I'll make reservations for you if you, if you want. Um, and this is when I was kind of interested in her and, you know, we never talked. I just saw her in the restaurant and I was like, wow, this is the perfect opportunity to really like lower socks off or something. So like I made, I made, I made one reservation for her and that was at Alan Wong's. She sat at the counter. She sat at the counter the same night that Obama came in. So it was a crazy, it was busy, you know, chef was there. It was very intense. And, you know, she, she sat right in front of chef Allen and they just cooked for her. And my friend, Michelle, that was the pastry chef there at the time was just like, really, uh, really making me look good. <laughs> but <laughs> I know, but you know, but but she didn't do it just because she knew me. She did it because it was, it was because I made a reservation for her. That it must be a good friend of Corey. So it's like just that aloha spirit that she showed to my wife, and and that's that's how I treat everyone at the restaurant. That's how I would. That's how what makes me feel comfortable, and that's how I want people to experience a warm welcome. Or like, I mean, that's the name of your podcast, right? It is. Yeah, I think just that whole that first initial hello how are you like that that's that's the genuine nature of hospitality and that when it starts with that it just it's such a good feeling to start with that and it continues but yeah i think that's what aloha spirit is is that mentality of treating someone that, right because so your restaurant treating your restaurant like your home and someone coming into your home how you want them to experience right yeah no, for sure. I mean, you, you nailed it too. And I think for me, the genesis of this podcast, the naming of it was actually because I personally believe in the, the importance and power of just the, a warm welcome, right? Like mm -hmm. hello and greeting them. And I think that's where hashtag starts, like you said. So for sure, it's very important. And I think I'm glad as a chef too, that you, you know, you are thinking about this too and, and, and of the experience, but um, this restaurant that, you know, was okay. So that, that was only transformative for your career, but your personal life <laughs> um, closed on November, 2020, which is actually very recently, maybe you know, two, three months ago. Um, what were your thoughts? Like when, when, when you heard about the permanent closure of this restaurant? Oh man, it was devastating. It was sad. It's like, yeah, that's where, that's my foundation. That's where I learned how to cook. That's where I met all my close friends. Um, luckily I, uh, we actually, my wife and I went back there last january so oh, 2019 wow. of january we went there right before covid and we were able to dine there and it was like things never changed it was just so awesome and there were people there that still were working there when i was there and it was it was really like it was kind of deep you know like yeah yeah <laughs> it's nostalgic you know it's familiarity with the food the space the 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 Aloha spirit, everyone there. Um, and it was, 
you know, it was really impactful to find out that it was, it was closed. Um, you know, I reached out to chef and I was like, I'm sorry. Thank you for everything that you've provided me, the, the teaching, the mentorship, the resources, you know, unfortunately, I guess it is what it is with the economy nowadays and, and with what happened to COVID and the struggle of how to keep a business alive during this time. Yeah. Cause I'm sure, I'm sure just like everyone else, right. He tried his hardest to, to do whatever he could to, to generate some sort of income to help his team help himself. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I can only imagine it's, it's probably a big team, right? I mean, how many, how many cooks and how many people are working there? Oh man, it was a lot. It's yeah. just like, it was just like a, a classic brigade system. I mean, there was three, three, four, seven, at least like nine or 10 kitchen people at night. I mean, it was like a, like a normal brigade. It was a decent amount of people. You mentioned some teachings. I know. I know. We talked touched on you know a lowest spirit, but are there anything else that we've missed that you feel like you still think about and you still apply to your job now as a leader in your kitchen that you took took from that restaurant or from the chef there? I guess teachings meaning like how how you're how you're impacted on 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 the why. I always enjoy from myself personally hearing about the why and when I teach others, I explain the why Mm -hmm. Um, meaning like the patience of stuff. Like for example, one of my experiences, this isn't Al Wong's, but I don't know. This is a very important one that I always, that I always tell share because it, it uh, reinforces the why when I was doing my trail at per se, Mm -hmm. um, the fish guy was really busy. It was right before service and he was going down but he, I was there like, oh, you go help him. I was like, okay. I was like, what do you need? He goes, peel these beets and portion them like this. But he mm-hmm. goes, I want you to peel the beets like this with a towel. You rub it like this. I'll show you like this. And then uh, after you peel them, like he'll do it step by step. Like after you peel them, you know, arrange them like this. After you arrange them, then you're going to cut them like this. And then you're going to arrange them back like this. And he explained the why. You peel the beets while they're warm because it's easier to pull the skins off. Like mm. I, 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 I was like, Oh yeah. yeah, that makes that that makes totally sense. Why you're using the towel and it's faster and you know those kind of things. That's that's why I learned in Hawaii. Like that's why I went to Hawaii is because I was able to learn how to cook all different types of Asian cuisine at that, and I loved it. And I don't think you could find that anywhere else in the world of Korean, Vietnamese, Chinese, Japanese, Portuguese, Hawaiian. Um, <laughs> you know the the list can go on, and you and chef Allen knew all, all the techniques, the foundation of all the different cuisines. And the, like, we used to have classes that on like Sundays, we used to have like a Chinese class and then you can learn about the basic Chinese principles and techniques and then how we use it in the restaurant. Then the next yeah. week would be uh, Japanese. Then the next week would be Korean. So mm-hmm. it was, those teachings, those, those mentorships, those learn that those learning experiences, they were explained in a patient and, um, understanding for, for how, cause the cooking, it's so much information and it's so hard in, in a restaurant setting, right. You know, like you have to get set up for service. There's no way that you're going to stop and be like, okay, you can do this. No, you got to move. You got this project, you got this project. Right. So, but, so knowing that and someone still taking the time, no matter how busy they are, 
to explain the why to you. It's like, oh, okay, he's he's he is this other person is taking their time to teach me, so I should give them the benefit and listen instead of like stopping. No, I know better way or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. No, I would I would I would counter argue and say that if you take the time then and there to invest in this person yeah. and show them the way, you will save more time in the long run because if yeah, you don't absolutely. teach them the right way in the beginning, they'll keep bothering you about, oh hey, by the way, was it like this or like this? But if you if you kind of invest it up front, I think it will pay pay dividends down the road. So I, I think oh, that's yeah, a great way to absolutely. approach mentorship. Um okay, fast forwarding. It's kind of interesting that you went from Hawaii to New York. I feel like that's kind of going from like zero to hundred real quick because you're going from an island life. I've been in Hawaii, you know, for vacation. It's it's chill, right? It's like like you said, it's like a different country. So to go from that kind of a environment to New York City, no less, and Columbus Circle, and per se, I think that's a pretty big jump. Um, so I want to hear oh, about man. that transition. Yeah, it was hard. I, I I went to New York City when I trailed at per se, and I was like, I didn't, I didn't get the job, and I was like totally devastated, and I was like, oh man. This, it was humbling more or less. Like it, it would just, just, it made me realize what I needed to, to do personally on how to be the best that I can. And when I went to New York, mm-hmm. I was like, Oh my gosh, like what am I getting myself into? Like, mm-hmm. this is, this is the best of the best. This is the big apple. Like this is New York city. Like if I want to learn, if I want to try and be successful, I have to be successful here. So I'm going to mm-hmm. give it my all. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, it was a learning experience of just the culture of the restaurant, the culture of the city, just, um, just being able to experience how to live there. Like, yeah, you're right. Everyone always told me, I think you did your career path wrong because you should end up in Hawaii, not start in Hawaii. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so like, especially to being from the West coast and never being on the East coast, I never experienced seasons, like really hardcore seasons, like winter right into um, the springtime. And then all of a sudden it goes to summer and it's hot. And then it's the fall. It's like, you don't really experience that in the West coast, let alone Hawaii. Um, so it was, <laughs> it was everything, culture, the environment, the restaurant, like the restaurant too. So I never been in a restaurant, a three mission star restaurant like that. Absolutely. And you know, just hearing French terms and all the way the the, you know, the culture of the restaurant. I'm like, what are they talking about? I'm gonna go home and try to figure it out. Or on my days off, I would go to Kitchen Arts and Letters and go read cookbooks, um, and just sit there just to see, <laughs> you know, explore and learn and. Because I, I was so, it seemed like I was so far behind because I was, I was older and I was the newest person, but I was the older, the oldest in age, but, but youngest in experience. Mm-hmm. And that's, that, that was the hardest part. Like mm-hmm. I was like 20, when I came to Hawaii, I was, I mean, when I came to Per Se, I was 28 or 29 and in the Komi kitchen, I was the oldest and everyone else was like five years younger than me. I'm like, Oh my gosh, these guys are doing circles around me. They're better. They know more. I'm like, man, I just have to give, <laughs> I just keep pushing, you know, just experiencing the, that level of restaurant intensity. It was, I mean, it, it was hard, but you know, I persevered and, and kept pushing. And I think that's, that's what taught me 
how to be a better chef and person. I am so happy for you. And I, I mean, this is like a belated, like this is probably four years late, but I wanted to congratulate you on, on such a, on such a rise. I mean, from 2007, you, you joined in 2007, you were promoted and uh, officially the CDC of person in 2017. So that's exactly 10 years. Um, I know in between you obviously left and kind of worked at other restaurants as well, but either way, in, in, in a matter of a decade, you became um, the CDC there, which is incredible, honestly. Um, so I do want to touch on that, you know, that, that time, like that, those 10 years that it took you from here you are like 28, 29, feeling like, you know, these kids, <laughs> these kids <laughs> were running laps around you to becoming the leader of that kitchen 10 years later. Like how, how has it been that decade? Oh man, it was to, to reflect on that is really, there's so much that I learned and, and I gained so much from that place. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I met my wife there. Um, I met all my personal good friends there from all over the world, like per se in New York city, like everywhere, everyone from is from everywhere. And there's That's no one really from New York city. That's the coolest <laughs> part. That's the coolest part. Yeah. And you make lifelong friends there. I have friends in Norway. I have friends in Japan. I have friends, you know, like all over Europe is just like amazing. You know, I, I still thank my lucky stars for being able to persevere and stay there that long. But it's funny that you said like all the younger guys were doing circles around me back then. And then now the team is way younger than me, <laughs> but now it's my job to teach them my experience mm-hmm. and what I gained from that place and what mm-hmm. I gained from working there and, and lessons that I, that I learned to how and how to apply that to my life, not just cooking professionally, but, you know, personally and, being able to share those things with these young guys and hopefully they take one thing that I teach them and they can take it with them and apply it to their future. It's crazy that being able to, to still dream that there's no way that I would ever thought that I would have gone to per se when I started cooking like that whole level. I was like, ah, oh, you know, I just want to be a normal chef. I, three Michelin stars, no way. And now I'm the CDC of a three Michelin star restaurant. Like that's even crazier. Like it was even crazier when I was a sous chef. And then to even think about, oh wait, I'm gonna be a CDC at this place? No way. I can't I can't do Chef Benno's job or Chef Eli's job. Like but you know, they were they were there to help me, guide me and teach me their their learn how they how they learn to be great chefs. You know, I still pinch myself every day when I, you know, stand in the restaurant or to, to look at the cookbook, you know, just even make a cookbook with Chef Keller. But like, are you crazy? <laughs> that's, a, that's a big deal. That's a big deal that you co-op. You mean you were co in the new book that just came out, right? So to have that as well, like, are you like, I have a cookbook. Like I, I, I still pinch myself and gra- like scratch my head and like, wow, that's a, that's a huge accomplishment. <laughs> it's like, I, I couldn't believe that I would ever be able to do that. That's um, that's amazing. There's one there's one specific event I wanted to talk about in that ten years, in, in that decade, which is um, there was a Pete Wells review in 2016, I want to say. And the reason why I remember this is I think I I think I talked about it with my team. I think I was at Boulay at the time, and I talked about it with my team about this review too. Um, I'd be curious from the inside though. I want more insider stories in terms of like how did how did the team respond to this review? Cause if I remember correctly, I think it went from a four star view from, from previously to two. Um, what was it like during that time? I'm sure 
I, I have a feeling that, you know, you becoming the CDC a, a year later, it, there's, a, there's definitely a connection there, right? I feel like. So how was it like kind of in that moment of, of being at Per Se when that review came out? And I'm just so curious to hear from more from the inside out. Of course, whenever you get whenever you get disappointing news, it's devastating, right? Especially something like that, and especially from the New York Times. But it was, yeah, it was super impactful, right? Right when you heard about it, it's like, wow, <laughs> this is real, you know. I guess it was humbling, and it was, I guess, put into perspective of what we we're doing. And Chef Keller was just like, you know, right? He he wrote an apology to to Pete Wells. It's like that showed class and character from him, like. Hey, you know what, Mr. Wells, I'm sorry. And I'm going to do better next time. <laughs> and that's all you can do, right? You can't change the past. You can't change yesterday. The only thing you can do is change the next day. And that's what we did. We got, we, we, we slowed down a little bit, right? And that's what I learned at, at working at the Nomad and working for, you know, Daniel Hume and, and those guys that make it a nice group, right? They have a saying that goes, you know, in order to speed up, you have to slow down. So it's like, okay, let's, let's slow down a little bit, right? Let's slow down a little bit. Oh, and then look at, really revisit everything. And, you know, and sometimes that's, you know, unfortunately that's what it took to, to look back at stuff. But with the guidance of Chef, you know, the way he approached it, you're, that's how we looked at it. It was like, oh, we're sorry. We'll just, we'll do it better next time. <laughs> that's it. You can't get mad at it. You can't really get mad anymore. So. It is what it is. It's the past. Now all you can do is focus on tomorrow. We talked a lot about other chefs and, and their philosophies and kind of their insights, but you know, you're, you're a chef in your own, right? And you, you are leader of per se now. What is your philosophy? Like, what is, do you have a kitchen philosophy and, and what do you kind of abide by in your, in your system? Um, I, I love being humble and being like, and having perseverance. And just having that open mind, um, also respect, respect for everything, respect for your coworker, respect for the food, respect for the vegetable, respect for the farmer that grew the vegetable. Like my favorite thing for these guys to do is go to the farmer's market, pick out their vegetables and make a dish with their vegetables that they picked themselves from the market after they've met the farmer. You know what I mean? There's so much connection there. They're, they're going to totally respect the vegetable. They're not going to throw anything away because they woke up early to, to go to the market to pick up the vegetable and they met the farmer that grew the vegetable, right? So you have so much more respect for that product. But yeah, just having respect for each other as well during at, at, in your workplace and being with that respect comes a better work environment and you enjoy the camaraderie, right? You enjoy that, that push with the team and that, that bond, that, that teamwork that you, that you created. And I think that that's one of the most important things, but humbleness too, like being open-minded and humble and staying just because we're in a three mission restaurant, uh, three mission star restaurant doesn't mean that you're still learning. I'm always open to learning new techniques. We don't just do stuff just because, we only do it like this. Like we have, we have so many people from all over the world, all over restaurants that have techniques as well that we can learn from. And, you know, it's always good to keep 
keep progressing. And I think that's, that comes, you know, with your attitude. And I think those are the things that really will be, will make you successful because that's how, that's what made, I believe, um, made me successful. You mentioned, you mentioned the farmer's market, which I'm sure is a big part of the R and D process. So I'm really curious, right? As a diner, but as a, as a fan, I know that you and the kitchen there put up a very different menu almost every day. So what does that process look like? Cause you know, when I was at 11 Madison, we would have these internal cook battles. So all the cooks, mm-hmm. no matter who, if you're a CDP or, or line cook or what have you, they all participated and they were kind of, um, putting up dishes and, and, you know, whoever, whoever was number yeah. one, they, that, that dish would make the menu. So what does your process look like in terms of the, the menu changing every day? Are you having, um, daily meetings with the sous chefs in the morning and thinking about what's, what's ahead for dinner tonight? Like, how does that look like? There's so many different approaches to that. Um, it's funny that you're talking about the cooking battles. Cause I used to do that. The nomad with those guys, it was fun. Um, the mystery box. Yeah. Um, but for us, it's collaboration. It's a, it's a meeting between everybody, the, the, the line cooks and the sous chefs and everyone, anyone with an idea. I, I, I'll give anyone an opportunity. Um, if you don't want it, that's fine. I'll just come up with a dish for myself. But you know, if, if I say, if we sit, if we sit around after, we usually do the menu meeting either before service or after service. Okay. Um, and be like, Hey guys, this is, this is what we got tomorrow. We have, um, you know, we have lobster on the menu. We have lamb, we have quail. Um, and then also too, we have what's obviously available from the market or what's fresh, right? Like, um, we're, we're in spring. So the peas obviously are great. We have asparagus, you know, what, what do we want to do? Um, what do we want to work on? So it, it starts like that. It's like, okay, this is what we have in-house this is what's coming tomorrow what what do what are how are we gonna you know put this puzzle together like i said the collaboration from all these chefs from all over the world brings cultural influences and that's in new york city too right new york city brings influence as well new york city gets the culture itself it's right one block you could go into chinatown the other block you're in little italy the other block you're in lower east side right and they're in the Lower East Side has all the Jewish delis. So it's like <laughs> you're, you're impacted so closely compared to like Los Angeles where it's all spread out. And that influence bring New York City brings that into our food as well as everyone else's culture. So it's like, oh, I have I know this Chinese technique that you steam the fish and you do this. Okay, well, so should we do steamed fish on the menu? And we can do this with the fresh peas or something. You know, like it, we start brainstorming that way. Or, or if there's a technique that we have been working on. It's like, oh, you know, I really wanted to work on that black pepper sauce again. And I wanted to, to change this one ingredient. I think that would make it better. Okay, okay, we'll do that tomorrow for the dish or something. You know, does that make sense how, what my, where our process is coming from? The way it, 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 it's similar to the French Laundry, but not really because yep. the French Laundry, they have, they have the... <laughs> the garden with perfect vegetables across the street. So, right. So the, the gardeners come the day before and be like, Hey chef, these are, this is what's going to be perfect tomorrow. And then they go, okay, we're going to make the menu around this. 
you know, we, we don't have a garden across the street. We have Central Park. <laughs> so it is a little bit different, but the same same philosophy and same principles of what is the best ingredient that we can have for our guests. And we work from there. I did a tour. I don't know if you were there. You probably were. I Yeah, you definitely were. I did a back in, back in school. So I went to NYU. And when I was at NYU, I started a restaurant club. And I did a restaurant tour of Per Se, actually. And I, I was able to see the kitchen. And oh my gosh, <laughs> it's the craziest. It is honestly, your kitchen is the craziest kitchen I've ever seen in my entire life. I think this is the way it's formatted, like over two floors. It's ridiculous. So because you spent so much time in this kitchen, what is your favorite part of the kitchen? Because there's so many cool little, little details here that I would love to share and, 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 and let people know about. Favorite part of the kitchen? That's a hard one. I would say standing underneath the TV screen. Do you know what I'm talking about? Because you can see everything going on, whether it's pastry or savory. You can hear everything. You can see the camaraderie between the dining room and the kitchen. You can still see the private dining from there, right? The pass, the little window above the sink. You can hear the noises the sounds of the restaurant, the sounds of people, the sounds of dishes, the sounds of the expediter, the sounds of the communication. I think that's the, that's the best spot because you can see everything. You can see the flow of service. You can see the flow of the dining room, how they picking up, picking up the tickets, uh, the dishes. I think that's the best spot. Also too, or the dining room or the dining room actually in the dining room, there's table 35 and that's, that's the couch in the salon. And that has the best view of central park and the circle and of the restaurant. That's, that's a nice place too, that I like to, to go out there after service and just kind of walk by and see it and kind of really soak it in and compress, decompress. Everyone's, everyone's going to request table 35 now after this episode airs. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't even think about that, but yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But that's awesome. I mean, I remember, so I actually, I expedited at a lot of medicine and I love that, that central vantage point as well, where you kind of see through the fish line, the meat line, pastry, Hark Garmage, Cole Garmage, and the tickets coming through and the and the servers whisking back and forth. There's something so like poetic and beautiful about that that kind of like service. When it when it when it when it when the service is great and nothing's bouncing, like everything's coming hot out hot, coming out cold, hitting the tables just right. Like it, it, it's hard to describe that feeling, right? Once once all cylinders are firing. Yep, no one really understands it unless unless you've been in it and you see it and you you experience it. So it's it's like you know it's like being on a great team, right? It's like sports, but in a different way. There's a few details I I, I want to talk about in the kitchen. I think there's a few signature things about per se. One of which is the you mentioned TV screens, but maybe people listening don't know this. But you guys have a live action live feed of French Laundry, correct, and vice versa. Yes. So you guys know, and you have an insight into literally what's happening on the other coast of the country at all times, which I think is really cool. Yeah, it's a pretty cool, like, it's just for camaraderie, you know, to like wave at everyone and to see chef sometimes, or to see your other fellow colleagues that you still work with or, or seeing what the dishes that they're doing and 
it's, it's just for camaraderie. And I think that connects, helps to connect the restaurants too. And then the other thing that I think is very signature per se is we can't not touch on this is the pass. Cause you guys wrap the pass every day with um, blue tape. And, and I, from what I remember, it was kind of like a, a green paper too. Do you yeah, change those green, yeah. quotes? Yeah. Do you change those quotes and what goes on every day too? Or, or how does, how does that work? Yeah, the, the quotes change um, every day that we tape on the pass. Um, the pass is kind of like, it's the last line of defense, right, for for how the dish is going to be presented in front of the guests. Um, so that's why we used to have white tablecloth on the pass. To, so, we, so we actually see and play exactly how the guest is going to experience that dish. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like I said, it's the last line of defense. So it's the last wipe around the edge of the plate it's the last you know last garnish it's the last feeling of the plate that's hot enough um but yeah that passes it's it's a it's a good feeling to be there and to to be on it like when you're a young cook you're scared to go on the pass but once you get to plate on there right that that satisfaction it's it's great who who, who does those like who comes up with those coats and, and puts it on there every day um, usually the dining room team or, or a collaboration between me and the expediter or something like that. But it's usually someone, someone usually has some sort of idea of like what we want to do of what, how we're going to, how we're going to create some energy tonight or how we're going to commemorate someone, right? Commemorate someone that, that, you know, someone's anniversary or like someone's, someone famous's birthday or something, you know? Do you, do you have a favorite quote, like a memorable quote from, from your time of, of, <laughs> being at the past and seeing all, all the daily changes, anything that sticks out to you or that you still remember? My favorite ones are like Bruce Lee ones, you know, be water, right? <laughs> you know, something like that. I always love those things, right? Because being in a restaurant, you know, it's so adaptive. There, it's never going to be, the guest is never going to be like, oh yeah, okay, that's it. But it's always, there's always something that you got to change or adapt to. And lastly, I think this is an interesting topic because I'm thinking about this a lot these days with COVID in mind and, you know, with the uncertainty in the air and you're in it, what do you think is the future of fine dining? Do you think that there's still a place for the French laundries and the per se's, or do you think you would have to start rethinking and reimagining the format of fine dining? I just would be curious to hear what your, your thoughts are. I don't, I don't think there's going to be a change in it. When we reopened, we were so busy. <laughs> it was because everyone missed that, right? You get so excited to, to, to have your birthday celebration or the Valentine's Day celebration or your anniversary. It's like, you know, especially too if you, if you really enjoy going out, you're just like, oh man, you know. Like, and I don't think that's going to change. I think, especially too in. in during the reopening in like November, people were, people were like, Oh, we're still, we're celebrating my birthday for March. <laughs> it's like, so they waited all that time. And they're like, you know what? When, when per se reopens, I'm going to still have my birthday there. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, and it's also a place of inspiration, right? It, it's so exciting to still see all the young cooks to save their money and still come in to eat. Um, you know, the chefs of Adamix, uh, Elia and JP came in right before we, Closed. They, I, I think they literally dined on December thirteenth, um, right before we closed. But it, you know, because they know what kind of experience that we provide, and 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 taking, transforming the time that you spend away from COVID 
at a restaurant, you forget about the outside and you remember what it was like to, to dine in a restaurant and to enjoy the experience that we provide. I don't think it's going to go away. It might, it'll probably bounce back even stronger because everyone's going to be cooped up in their houses. And like, I want to go out. I've been wearing sweatpants for eight months. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, I think there's so many other beautiful things to find dining that gets glossed over. And I think people kind of just look at the, look at how kind of maybe how high end it is and how maybe it is inaccessible to a few people, but to, to some, I would say. But at the same time, I think per se, does a lot of great programs to make it accessible and bring, I, I even remember like maybe you did something with students and they were able to come in and, and dine. And mm-hmm. I know you also do kind of a 30 and under um, yeah. program as yeah. well. Like, there's a lot of initiatives that, that you guys do that would be even like an entirely new podcast episode. But um, <laughs> I think it's cool. I think it's cool that you're trying to push the boundaries. And I think like um, to your point, I guess I didn't think of it that way, but you know, you're right. I think that people are going to be craving those, uh, culinary experiences, especially at a, at a setting like per se. Um, and uh, for me, I think fine dining is also a tr- trickle down effect. I think a lot of innovation happens at the fine dining level and then it gets scaled down to the masses at some point. Like, you know, you look at fast casual, I think it, a lot of it is derived from fine dining in terms of maybe transparency with the producers and the farmers where the food is from. That, that, that starts at the fine dining level, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's very interesting to see from uh, personally, I think like all the trends and innovation start at the fine dining level and then it gets kind of like passed down and then whatever, whatever can be replicated at scale becomes fast casual. I think, yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's my take on it. I don't know how you feel about it, but I would agree with that. I think it's important for sure. Like fine dining is important in that degree, not just the, not just the, I, I don't really believe in the showiness of it. Like I, I get that too. But I think the importance of fine dining is actually more so the, the culinary pushing boundary stuff, right? In terms of experience mm-hmm. and, yeah. and the approaches. So, well, talking about all of this makes me really want to dine now. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh man, it's been, a, it's been a minute. Yeah, that was awesome, man. Really appreciate you taking the time and um, the, the cookbook too. I'm so excited about, I'm really happy for you. And uh, People can find it anywhere, right? At every major bookstore. I, I want to make sure we plug the cookbook too. Yeah, at Amazon. Um, you can buy it from the Finesse store um, online from and Chef Keller. I think the ones from Finesse store, you can buy them and Chef Keller signs them for you. And I think a portion of those proceeds go to the restaurant relief fund. Um, but yeah, it's available everywhere worldwide. Awesome. And uh, for people that want to follow you, uh, you know, do you mind plugging your Instagram and where, where people can follow, uh, you know, per se and, and all oh, yeah, that it's stuff. at Corey D Chow. I think it's at per se and why, um, check this out. I don't, I actually have been posting photos of food that we've been doing and it's like, Oh man, I forgot about that one. Or, you know, you kind of have a little bit more time to go through your phone and be like, Oh yeah, I forgot about that dish or something. Um, but yeah, you can see, see stuff that we, that we've posted from the, for to promote the book, all the dishes and, recipes it's a uh, social media i guess being being in covid people are looking at that a lot more nowadays even for the for the cookbook too we have um a virtual virtual uh book tour um chef killer and chef breed and i we would do a virtual cook uh cookbook talks with chef killer and uh, a facilitator 
promoting the book as well as helping out uh, uh, a store that's that's selling one of our uh, selling our books or something. So it's a there's a lot of stuff on there. Oh, so those virtual tours is that is that something people can find out through Instagram too? It should be either Chuck Keller's Instagram or or per se or French Laundry whenever the next book tour is um, event. I think we just did one with Michael Ruhlman, one of the co- oh, he's the writer of the book and. We did one with Alice Waters recently. Wow. Um, okay. That was really fun. Yeah. Okay, cool. Definitely when you see at the next virtual book tour then. <laughs> <laughs> um, but again, Corey, I really appreciate you. I'm so, I'm so happy for you again. And, you know, it's so great to see Asian American representation, especially at a level like per se. I think it's just uh, really, really amazing to see. I hope to see even more faces, Asian American faces at the top, um, you know, leading these kitchens because... It's important, right? I think diversity is important and having kind of new, fresh perspectives is important. And to see you doing it, man, I mean, like I told you before off air, before we started recording, I see a lot of Asian sous chefs, but not many Asian CDCs. So that's, it's, it's really awesome. Yeah, no, it is. It's, it's good. I hope, I hope and I inspire a lot of people. You know, everyone keep pushing. Don't stop. Keep, keep persevering. You really you know, it's related to, it doesn't even have to be in the restaurant level. You can be any, any other level of profession and achieve it just with the certain work ethic that you, that you, that motivates you and keeps you inspired. So it can be for anything, right? It doesn't have to be at the mission star level. Thank you, Chef Corey, for being on the podcast. You were amazing. And as I yeah, just kind of talked about, really miss dining at per se and just the entire holistic experience that the restaurant provides. I mean, starting February 14th, indoor dining is coming back in New York City at 25% capacity. So it'll be interesting to see how restaurants open back up and how it's going to keep getting scaled back a little bit and people will be able to dine out again, um, hopefully safely as well. But if you are interested in the cookbook, I, I just want to put you in the right direction. Obviously, you could buy it anywhere where books are sold, but finessethestore.com is the retail store from the Thomas Keller Restaurant Group. And all the cookbooks that you buy from here are actually signed by Chef Thomas Keller himself, which I think is really cool. And uh, they actually sell a lot of things too, not, not just cookbooks, but apparels and different pantry items and, and things of that nature too. So really interesting. Um, you should check it out. I'll have the link in the episode description. But otherwise, Chef Corey, thanks again. And uh, for everyone tuning in, I hope you have a really good week, rest of the week. Stay safe, stay sane, and I'll see you next week.